So good evening, uh, Peter. Good afternoon from here in Ghana, where I am joining you for this very uh, lively conversation. I, I just want to say thank you so much for making time to join me. So my dear listeners, this is a Language Matters podcast. And this afternoon, we come to you with a fairly different twist to what we've been doing so far. And I'm so excited that I have Peter with me this afternoon. So I would allow Peter to introduce himself and tell us a bit about himself before we delve into our conversation. So Peter, kindly tell our listeners who you are and why you are with us this afternoon. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that warm um, introduction, Mame. And, and I and apologise for taking so long to get around to having this interview with you. But just a few words about my background. Uh, I'm of Greek heritage. My parents migrated to Australia in the 50s. I was born in the late 60s. Uh, I was born, uh, I'd say, in an era where there was a lot of ethnic and race-based discrimination, and it continues today. Uh, my original name, the name that I was assigned to when I was born, was actually Panayotis Musiferiaris. And Peter became my middle name, but it became the name that uh, people knew me as. And now it's the name that everyone knows me as. But one of the reasons why we changed our names was because a name like Panayotis, you were made fun of uh, as a child. Uh, people didn't make an effort to try to pronounce that name. Uh, and today things are a little bit different. People tend to retain the names that they're given. But just a few words in terms of my professional career, uh, I, uh, before my professional career, maybe I should say, I majored in religious studies at university with the view of becoming a theologian. I studied Corne Greek, which was the Greek that came about as a result of Alexander's expansion to South Asia. The time of this great period of confluence and where you had this convergence of Hellenic uh, and uh, South Asian thought and you know uh, Hindu thought, which really started to um, influence the language. And the language underwent this massive transformation. So I became well-versed uh, in Koine Greek, and Koine Greek was uh, the language that was, uh, uh, you know, the New Testament was written in. Um, I then uh, was introduced to the arts. I always studied the arts. I was always a musician. Uh, a friend had introduced me to conducting. I went and spent four years studying conducting in what was then called Czechoslovakia before it split. Uh, he uh, studied some time in Italy and in the US, about four years in total. I returned to Australia. I began to work as a conductor in the community. And before too long, I became a creative director of major intercultural productions. So before I knew it, I was working with the Dalai Lama. I was working on UN events. I produced nine Australia Day concerts and massive events with casts of 200 all the way up to, you know, 1,300, uh, you know, performers on stage. So colossal productions. And what I quickly realized was that we didn't do enough to draw upon our diversity, our, in particular our cultural diversity, as a source for progress, innovation, building socially cohesive communities. Uh, and within this notion of cultural diversity, I, we started to work with the idea of how can we start to understand what we mean by cultural diversity? How do we define it? How do we take a scientific process, you know, approach to understanding it? So, and this led to the development of a, a transformational analytics tool 
called Diversity Atlas, uh, which has been in many ways the focus of a lot of my work uh, lately. Thank you. Thank you. That's so the short version. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate you giving us the short version. So um, I just love the, the caption that you have, cultural infusion, you know, and somewhat someone might wonder, you know, what is cultural infusion and why cultural infusion? Why is that important? Especially relating to a point you made earlier on the fact that we don't draw on our cultural diversity enough. So if you have any thoughts, you know, why should we even bother about drawing on our cultural diversity and why should cultural infusion uh, be at the table? Well, thank you very much. I had already been doing quite a bit of work uh, in the community, giving a voice to presenters from many diverse backgrounds. And in uh, 2002, after a whole lot of market research, well, I wanted to move into the space of education. Um, I went to my wife and I said to her, look, I want to come up with a name, uh, that a, a new name, a unique name that can really capture what I do and move into this education space. And it was very interesting how the name came about because I attribute the name Cultural Infusion totally to my partner, Aphrodite. Um, and she said to me, look, you go and get me a cup of tea, she said. Don't forget to leave the tea bag in there. And don't forget, I need two, two teaspoons of sugar. I was so excited that she was going to help me come up with a name. So I ran down the hallway, boiled the kettle, came back, and I was spilling the cup of tea because I was so excited. And I, I handed her the tea, uh, the cup of tea, and then um, I started to talk. And she said to me, shut up and sit down. And as she was sitting there with the cup of tea, and she started to dunk the tea bag. She looked at me. And at that moment, I felt like Atlas carrying the globe, the earth on my shoulders. And she smiled and she said, that's it. And for as long as I've known you, you're always forever and a day infusing people with culture. So the tea bag became that symbol, the initial symbol. Uh, and for me, it's about recognizing that Culture is not exclusive. It, it, it never has been. And culture is uh, the lifeblood of culture is confluence. And when we bring different perspectives together, bring different ideas together, we create knowledge. Knowledge is the diversification of ideas. So if you think of, you know, if you think of everything, where, where isn't there a touch point of two cultures? contributing to a new idea. And I think this is the story we need to uh, tell the world, that we all exist because of each other. You know, uh, in, in the continent of Africa, many parts, they have the notion, especially in South Africa, they have the notion of Ubuntu, I exist because of you. It has never been different. And I think this is a story we need to tell. And history has got many examples. If you think of the numerical system we have, this is not one culture giving this to us. This is, you know, Persian, Arabic, uh, Hindu, Hellenic thought coming together to give something that humanity is still using a thousand years later. Think of the bionic eye and how many cultures have contributed to that. Think of languages. Think of the English language. I mean, my culture, my heritage, there's something like 
someone had said to me that eight or eleven percent of English words have got uh, uh, you know are derived from a Greek word. Uh, not only not only Greek, but there's French in there, and there's many other uh, you know um, uh, cultures that have influenced language. Language is a living phenomenon. It's a wonderful phenomenon. Yeah. Thank you so much, Peter. So that takes me, leads me to my next question, language and why it matters, especially in your work. You know, you had mentioned to me that the work that you're doing with Diversity Atlas has actually opened you up. You knew this already, but just made it more tangible why we need to pay attention to language when we are talking about diversity, inclusion, and equity. So if you can share with us some of these insights from your own personal experience and what Diversity Atlas has also enabled you to gather or, or the, the rich information that you know coming from someone who works directly um, in charge of whatever it is that Diversity Atlas does and some of your findings that will be so useful for, for our listeners and myself as well to know. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mom. Uh, Diversity Atlas is a tool um, that's able to provide comprehensive insights, not only into the extent, but also the type of cultural and numerous uh, demographic dimensions of diversity. And one of the pillars of cultural diversity is language and speech communities. We have a database of more than 9,000 languages and speech communities. There's, there's about 7,000 languages that are spoken in the world. But then a lot of those languages have got their own speech communities. So if you take English uh, you know, as a, a speech community, there are many different ways English is spoken in many parts of the world. If you look at Spanish, or French, the Spanish that's spoken in Spain is very different to the Spanish that's spoken in Chile, in Argentina, the way it's pronounced, but also the meaning, uh, the weight that we, uh, that each culture is able to bring to those particular words. And one of the things that we try to do with Diversity Atlas is begin to get a sort of a sense of where humanity has come from. I mean, the linguistic diversity is extraordinary, but someone's ethno-linguistic background also influences cognitive processes. It shapes values. It shapes empathy. It shapes gratitude. It shapes so many things. So if you start to think now, when you're conversing in English and you take a word such as love, and you then you try to translate that into some other cultures. And like a colleague had said to me, who comes from the Karashay community uh, in the Caucasus, and she's the only, she only, there's only one Karashay family in the whole of uh, Victoria, the state that I come from. And she said, in our culture, we don't even have a word for love. In my culture, in my heritage, Greek, we have 20 different words for love. So what love are we talking about? Are we talking about the love between a mother and your beautiful child that you're holding in your hands now, mommy? Uh, are we talking about the love between two, two teenagers? Are we talking about the love between a couple that have been married for 30 years? They're all different types of love. And in many ways, the English notion of love 
has oversimplified this concept notion, where in other cultures, it's a bit more complex and we have different types of love. So when I heard this phrase, love is love, I thought that's actually oversimplifying a very complex, you know, intangible concept that exists in other cultures because love is just not love. What love are you talking about? So, and and even today or yesterday it was, we had a conversation in our uh, with our team. You know, if you look at the word husband and wife, in Greek, we don't use the word husband and wife. If we did, it would be a very derogatory way of referring to your partner. We use the word andras and yeneka. I mean, it would be, no, it's not that. We have the word sizigos, which literally means the other one who's in, who's equal measured to me. So they they have equal weight to me. So it's a very different concept. So, you know, and you can learn a lot from other cultures. So I think what we need to do as we move into this globalized world, how can we begin to take these other notions, these other ways of understanding what a word might mean in English and how we might be able to layer it with extra dimensions that might allow us to understand humanity better. And this is why language is the opening to the mind. And, you know, one really fascinating aspect of our language that I've only recently came, um, I became aware of uh, was language isolates. I never knew what a, an isolate was to Diversity Atlas. And basically for those listeners who are out there, Isolates, uh, language isolates are those languages where we don't know where they came from. So there's two theories. You have language A, B, and C. A disappeared, C disappeared, and all you have is left is B, language B. Okay, and and there's maybe, and linguists have said, maybe there was another language that, that it was derived from. But another theory, and a very plausible theory, which makes sense, is that if you had 10 children and they weren't being exposed to any language, and they were totally self-sufficient, they would develop their own language, and that would be shaped by their experiences, by their place, by their space. And this is extraordinary. What does it tell you about the human mind? How can we now begin to understand the human mind more? And, and it's interesting because when we started to have this conversation at work, our chief technical officer, Reza Moyeni, it said when he was living in Malaysia, his daughter used to play with a Chinese girl every single day. And they would they started to come home every single day and they would speak in some sort of a gibberish. Now, my friend Reza, who's of Persian background, thought his daughter was speaking Chinese. And the parents of the Chinese girl thought she was speaking uh, Persian, when in actual fact, they started to develop this own way of communicating. Now, I think there's got to be more studies in this because what this will start to do is unlock aspects of the human mind that we don't know. And, and one of the things we hope to do with Diversity Atlas uh, through using machine learning and AI technology as we begin to build, uh, you know, have huge data sets, is get a sense of where humanity has come from, where we are today, and where we might end up.
Thank you so much, Peter, but that's so much gold, you know, and I mean, the sense I'm getting out of this is that language matters, not just for diversity, equity and inclusion, but in every sense of, of this world and of our lives. And come to think that people are discriminated against based of the, on, on the basis of their language use is so unfortunate and something that has to be stopped and stopped now. You know, so I, I just want to know, you, you posted a while back on LinkedIn and you made a comment about labeling and categorizing things. So the labels we put on things and how that is problematic, you know. For, so for someone who didn't see that post, for example, or for someone who is new to all this idea of language and how it impacts how we see the world and even understand each other, what would you say about that? I just want you to reiterate that, that point you were making about uh, labeling, because I think it's an important one that is often missed and not part of the discussion as, as, as often as it should be. Yeah, thank you, Mame. Too often we find in society, and, and quite often uh, this is probably a, an unintended consequence of policymakers uh, in government where they begin to use labels as a way of describing uh, a cohort or an individual. And what this does is it becomes problematic because it perpetuates this duality of us and them. And I hear it all the time. I hear it in our culture where people go, oh, 49% of the population is multicultural. What do they actually mean by that? Do they mean that the other 51% don't have an affinity with a culture? Is, is that what they're trying to say to us? And my concern with these statements is that they um, normalise and entrench the binary. We should all be striving to reduce in society. Yeah? And, and most of the time it actually happens by people who might not be part of the dominant culture, who might not be part of the cultural hegemony. Because when they start to um, feed into this language, utilise this language, it starts to work against what we're trying to achieve, this culture of inclusiveness, this culture of harmony, trying to build harmony. And language defines the reality. Subliminally, starts to have an effect on people and it starts to influence policies. And ultimately, what it starts to do is when resources are allocated, well, we're going to allocate all the main resources to the mainstream and we're going to just throw chicken feed to the, you know, to, to the minority groups. Rather than thinking, what are the needs? We should be focusing on what the needs are rather than coming up with these uh, labels. And, and, and begin to move away from this, uh, you know, this notion of othering uh, through, you know, reinforcing this, you know, uh, duality of, you know, uh, us and them. Thank you so, so, so much, Peter. And uh, I mean, I'm excited about this conversation because it just reinforces what I've been saying all this while, that language indeed matters. It's, it's almost as if it is what binds, to me, language is what that would bind all these that this desire and this drive to 
paying attention to language, you know, is one critical tool that will help us achieve the society of inclusion mm. and equal opportunities that we, we are all uh, desiring to see. So before I let you go, uh, finally, ah. Peter, if you have any final words, any final thoughts for people in the space who haven't really paid attention to language or who haven't considered um, the role of culture and language in the workplace, what, what would that be? You know, your, your final and uh, closing thoughts. Thank you. Well, my, my final thoughts for the listeners to this podcast would be try to pay attention to the language you use. Try to focus on language of inclusion. Try to focus on language that doesn't fill the other, doesn't threaten the other. And try to find language that's, you know, develops a culture of peace and inclusiveness. So, I mean, that would be my, I suppose, takeaway for the listeners today. Uh, and also begin to think of when you're communicating to others, what language are you using? Where is that language coming from? And how might that language be interpreted by someone who's not of an English-speaking culture? or a culture which is similar to yours. And I just wanted to sort of end on one, uh, one last thing, is that when we used Diversity Atlas for the first time in our organisation, it was interesting because someone put down that they spoke seven languages. And we asked if that person could volunteer because uh, we enforced uh, you know, the anonymity around across Diversity Atlas. And that individual said, well, I come from in West Africa, in Ghana, we all speak many languages. And some of those languages probably don't even have a script. I'm not too sure. That's three of them. I don't think they have a script. Four of them have scripts. But it was interesting how everyone began to see that person in a different light. Because before that, they were just someone who worked in the accounts area and they were a junior accounts person. But they were immediately seen, wow, you speak seven languages? Most of us here only speak one or two languages. How do you speak several languages? So I think language is the key to understanding the human mind, and we still have a lot more to learn about language. And I think that we have a lot of work to ensure that language does not begin to experience a rapid decline. Some linguists are anticipating that, you know, we will go from... 7,000 languages spoken in the world to less than 1,000 in the next 80 years. Think of what that would mean for humanity. Think of what that would mean if you became the last speaker of your mother tongue. How would you feel? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Peter. That's such a lovely note to end on. But if someone is listening and is wondering, how do I get in touch with Peter? Uh, if I want to use Diversity Atlas for my organization, what do I do? Can you share that with our listeners so that people can find you easily if they want to? Okay, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Peter Musaferiadis, M-O-U-S-A-F-E-R-I-A-D-I-S. And every na name has a story uh, behind it. So 
Next time you interview me, we can just spend 25 minutes talking about the etymology behind my name and how it came about. Uh, but very quickly, it means Peter the Traveller. Uh, please check out our, um, uh, our website, diversityatlas.com.au. And if you want to know more, if you'd like a demonstration, by all means, I, I would welcome the opportunity uh, to present uh, the value that Diversity Atlas can bring to making organisations more equitable, representative and inclusive through a data-driven approach. Thank you so much, Peter. I'll leave you to go and have a good night rest, but thank you. This has been so lovely. And thank I'm looking you. forward to having another such uh, wonderful conversation. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Language Matters podcast. As usual, let us know what your thoughts and comments are. You can directly message Peter on LinkedIn if you want further clarification or if he said something, even if we said something that you disagree with, we'll be glad to hear that as well and to have the conversation going. Thank you.